Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Miriam Neff, with biblically-based advice for women on managing their money. We acknowledge it's all God's on loan to us. So in other words, there's our motivation right there. There's our why. And second, we take responsibility for it. We don't say, oh, but I inherited this debt from my husband. Okay, so you did. Now you got to address that. Miriam Neff, next. Miriam Neff, founder of Widow Connection, says more women than ever have control of wealth and are making many financial decisions. She also believes not every woman has confidence in money management. So, along with her daughter Valerie Neff Hogan, an attorney and certified financial planner, she's written Wise Women Managing Money. Before I ask you about the book, Miriam, tell us about Widow Connection. Well, uh, I became a widow 17 years ago, way too soon, I thought. I was age 60. My husband had Lou Gehrig's, and I looked for Christian resources to help me through that really rugged time, questioning God as to why and loneliness and all of those issues, and I could find no Christian resources, none. Uh, But the Bible has 103 verses that talk about us, and I thought, okay, Lord, let let's let me just study this and let me walk with you and i did that and was led to start widow connection which now it's a website widowconnection.com and we've published many books related to widowhood we've made a lot of resources but i think one of the amazing things now never in my life i had had 11 books published before did i ever think i would be writing a book with my daughter and in a way you might say it was birthed out of the ministry mm. widows because right after the emotions of loss and grief and even depression and struggling with our faith, the second biggest challenge was money. And my daughter, being a lawyer and a CFP, she we say she's the numbers nerd and I'm the word nerd. And I would be talking to her about, okay, people are questioning me about getting a handle on their budgets. They have less than they used to. How do they do this? And uh, we began seeing a great need for increasing women's financial literacy, all women. And it happens that, you know, widows was why I was talking with her. But wise women managing money is for all women. And one of the things statistics say, women lack financial, they feel they lack financial information. They lack confidence. Now, are we smart enough? Absolutely. Is money in our pocket? Absolutely. Sometimes more, sometimes less. So this book basically just nails 26 different topics that are very important. And I'm finding that women reading, one woman said, this changed my life. And I say, the book didn't change your life. The Lord did when you got a handle on, it's all God's on loan to you. Let's do it right. Let's do it well. Well, you've written uh, co-written this book with your daughter Valerie Neff Hogan, and uh, you're you say that this is not only the most important book you've written, but it's different from others on money issues. And there are a lot of books out there by various writers. T- talk about that. Why why do you feel so strongly about this particular book, and, and and how does it contrast, or how is it different from others? Well, one huge difference is we are two female voices uh, talking about money. Now, are there other good people, the Dave Ramseys and the 
uh, you know, the Ron Blues and so many different really good resources, but they're men's voices. And it isn't that it's different, but women hear women's voices differently than men. And sometimes we tag on to something that really touches where that person is in a little bit of a different way. Now, are there other women talking about finances? Yes, Susie Orman is one, but she doesn't have a biblical basis. And ours is the only book written about money by women with a biblical basis. We nail it right to begin with. None of it's ours. It's We're one of those stewards, Matthew 25. God has entrusted us, some with more, some with less. It's not ours to fling around or do whatever we want. It's how do we follow his guidelines? Mm. And my daughter and I go through all those biblical guidelines regarding debt, regarding planning your expenses, regarding prioritizing. So it's very much a how-to book uh, written in uh, with our voices. And the chapters, we uh, kind of piggy-banked and... I wrote th 13 and she wrote 13 based on our topics like you would might know she would write the one on wills and trusts. And then I would write the ones on budget busters, emotions that mess with your money. Mm -hmm. uh, but then we gave it to the other person. And as the way the Moody published it, there'll be a green sidebar with the other person making comments about that. In your book, uh, Miriam, uh, yours and your daughter's book, Wise Women Managing Money, you, you write that you, you have a sense of urgency about communicating this information. Uh, why, why the sense of urgency about communicating this to women? And was there a particular sense of urgency now at this particular time in history? Oh, Bill, so much so. Uh, ask anyone, no matter what their income level or their feeling their lack of income level, Inflation has eaten into what we have to spend. So that's a big factor. And then coming out of the pandemic, there have been a lot of job changes, people who weren't working for a while. So you've got inflation, you've got fluctuations in the markets. People who have investment nest eggs, it just shrunk from a goose egg to a robin egg. Now, I've never used that analogy before, <laughs> but you know what I mean. So it's incredibly important, no matter what's going on in our country or our personal life, to go back to Scripture and say, wait, it's all God's. So if our income has shrunk, we don't swipe the credit card more. We don't get a payday advance loan, which, by the way, is increasing. We don't do that because the Bible says don't have debt. Spend less than what you have. So instead of, I mean, I love a good crab cake, but I also can live on oatmeal. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing that more now. I lived on a fixed income. So that biblical principle, when you have that in place, when you know your why, why do I have this? Because it's God loaning it to me. That gives you the comfort and the reassurance that oatmeal is going to be tasty and it's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I use that, that may be a corny example, but I think uh, realizing we have to adjust our spending, just like that new widow or that divorced person or that person who's lost a job, they they have to push the pause button and they can't keep spending the way they were spending. And in our book, at the end of each chapter, we give some talking points and we suggest people study it together as a group. In fact, there's a couple where I go to work out that are reading it aloud together. 
and there had been conflict before about their finances, and they're finding it's very helpful. So Jerry Jenkins endorsed the book, and he said men should read it too. So we'll we'll allow that. Mm. Well, the book is Wise Women Managing Money, Expert Advice on Debt, Wealth, Budgeting, and More. My guest is Miriam Neff. She is the co-author, along with her daughter, Valerie Neff Hogan. Uh, Miriam is the founder and president of Widow Connection. As you mentioned, uh, you made reference, Miriam, of course, you're very familiar with widows, with the new widow. There are, of course, newly divorced people and people that have never married. The statistics for households headed by single adults adults uh, is amazing how many households are headed by single adults. Uh, I don't know the exact statistic, but it's a large number. How should a single person approach financial planning in terms of how you would contrast it from that of a married couple? Well, first of all, all the principles are the same, and I can say it. We'll cut it down to just four points instead of all 26 chapters. Know it, own it, like it, or change it. So for that single person, they need to know what's coming in, not what they hope next year's raise will be, or not what they hope will be that windfall or that gift or whatever. So you know it. And then you own it, You and we say, write it all down. And I'm a paper and pencil person. My husband and I were. My daughter, her she and her husband are, they do it on a spreadsheet out to I don't know how many clicks out they go recording everything but however you do it but if you're single you do it however you want to if you're married what works for both of you what way to record it so that you know exactly everything that's going out and i mean you write it down you register it there's some things that might help like looking at your credit card statement or whatever but write it all down you know it and then you own it and say this is reality this is my reality. One of the women we write about in the book had accumulated a lot of credit card debt, and she went to a Christian credit card management company that basically she, her paycheck went to them. They consolidated, paid it down. She lived on less, but she owned it. She said, I don't want to be carrying all this credit card debt. It's costing me. Now, a married couple, the two of them have to talk together about it. And we say you should be in those conversations about money before you marry. If you're a spender and he's a saver or vice versa, you've got to come to an agreement. Do we want to make sure this is what represents us? Not you, not me. This represents us. So that's a lot of talking that needs to happen. So you know it, you own it, and you like it and say, okay, this is good, or ooh, it's not godly or it's not working. And then you go to the change it part where you start eliminating things or cutting things back. Well, Miriam, I want to talk to you, of course, about some of the nuts and bolts, and there's a lot of that in your book. But I'm wondering, uh, at this point, perhaps it'd be good to uh, talk about some of the major biblical principles which should govern the believer's approach to money. I know there, there are many. Let's start with a very foundational one that the culture discourages. The Christian, this Bible says, this is what you do, and the culture says, no, don't do it. The Bible says you earn it first, and then you spend it. You plow your, till your field, and then you build your house. Our culture says, buy as big a house as you can, hope that your income will go up to, so the mortgage will be comfortable. Stretch for a bigger mortgage, a bigger house, a bigger car. Pay it off over time. 
that is what scripture says is a no-no because that's debt. So yes, mortgages are allowed. There are certain things in scripture where you can pay something on time, but for the most part, it's no. So you count on what you have and then comfortably you spend within that, which may mean you might not buy the new car that this, the culture says you've You've earned it. No payments for the, so pay it off over seven years while the car dies after four. <laughs> so I, I point this out because it's so easy to think, but my neighbors are doing it. But I can do, but the mortgage company says, yes, they'll approve me for that big amount. Earn it first and then spend less than that. So that's a big first. And the other, another thing that it talks about is that with the surplus you have, First of all, you give to God, give to kingdom purposes. Some people give donations to Widow Connection. We're a 501c3. Some people give to their church, their Christian radio station, or to help other believers when their washing machine breaks. You can't do this if you're laden with debt. So the whole principle, first of all, you have to be living on less so that you can do God's priority, and that's kingdom investment. Well, Mary, you've certainly touched on some of this, but what do you believe are some, or maybe even just a couple of major financial issues that cause strain or stress in a marriage? Well, one would be the differences between what people think they need. In other words, a, a couple may have a bunch of teenagers that all think that they have to have a smartphone. And it's got to be smarter than their neighbors. And then it's got to be in a little pocket carrier. And it's got to, got to do all this stuff. Well, wait a minute. That's, the, that's not biblical. You're comparing yourself with another person. You're, uh, you're allowing your teenagers to be sucked into who has the most bling wins. <laughs> and and that's, what, that's what they hear at school. That's what they hear everywhere. Mm -hmm. So we have a chance as a family, as a Christian family, to say, we don't do it that way. Uh, you, A dumb phone or a burner phone may work, or no phone. I mean, I think half the things that I think I have to have today weren't invented 20 years ago, or at least they weren't available to me. <laughs> right. Or, or some of the fancy things about homes. Um, one family decided they would never have a dishwasher because they had three children that could wash dishes. Now, that may sound a little extreme, but but depends on your income. What do you what are you going to do to make sure that you're doing that wisely? Miriam, I'm wondering too, uh, you had widow connection. and what what about for someone who is a new or a recent, widow, I, I, I suppose it could apply to the widower in certain contexts too, but specifically for the widow, maybe she has been handling the finances. A lot of women do handle the finances in their marriages, but a certain number don't. Uh, let's say she's one that hasn't so much. How, well, where should me, she start? Let me be a numbers nerd. So in 10 marriages, in eight of them, the man will depart this planet before the woman. So there's going to be eight widows for every two widowers. Now, statistically, widowers, if if one person in the marriage passes, they only need 80% of what they had before. So it's okay for the income to go down 80%. For widowers, if the woman has passed first, his income goes down 20% because of her maybe social security or something. 
but his income goes down, but all he needs is 80% of what, so he's okay. Statistically, it's different for women. Her income goes down a third. Hmm. Her need is still at 80%. The difference between 66% and 80% is poverty for her. Poverty or quick change. So she has to be ready and nimble to make changes in what she's spending. And that's why it's important. In fact, we think of Wise Women Managing Money as a companion book that you should almost give a person when her husband passes. And that is important to know. But the other thing, there are some women that now oversee trust funds of $5 million, $12 million, and they were not exactly prepared to do that. And we go through recommending what they do to interview someone and find someone that can help them. The other thing is they may go to the person that was helping them as a couple. That person may be the wrong person for her. If that person is not listening to her, not listening to her goals, is not paying attention to her desires, she may want to spend more money on family vacations than he did. But it's very important for her to have a person that is listening to her and her wishes and learning. I have gone with many widows to meet with their financial planners and their investment people so that they feel confident to ask the questions they need to know. And we walk alongside them through that. That's important. Again, it's God's. It's God's. So she is now, if she's the trustee of millions of dollars, she is entrusted to manage that wisely. And God wouldn't have let that happen if he hadn't trusted her to be able to do it. Miriam, in the book, uh, Wise Women Managing Money, you talk about different ways to invest our money. And uh, perhaps for some people, uh, older folks and so on, this may be a familiar ground, but maybe not. You, you know, obviously, you don't make specific investment recommendations, um, but uh, you do explain options. I would imagine that this was, of course, a, this is the realm that your daughter moves in as a certified f- a financial planner. But c- can you touch on a few of the kinds of options, investment options that perhaps might be considered if there is that opportunity? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that question. I was never involved in investing till after Bob went to heaven. Mm. And then what we had I began to learn and grow. Val says I brought home stacks of books about money from the library that were taller than me. That's not quite true. But I I learned and I studied, uh, I studied equities and I studied, and we talk about investing in terms of what meets your goals. Do you need something that's a slow growth with a dividend? Well, that's like an adult. Do you want something that's going to grow but maybe fall down? Then you buy a small cap like a toddler. We have pictures in there to show you all this. If I can do it and I learn to invest, and those have been uh, quite God-honoring, and I'm not a numbers nerd, anyone can do this. Anyone can do this. But you pick differently based on what your goals are and your timeline. So we can't say, oh, everyone should get equities or everybody should buy municipal bonds. You can't do that because we're all different. Our resources are different and our needs are different. Well, Miriam, as budgets are put together, as they're constructed, if if the person has not done one before, and of course, a lot of people live their lives without budgets, uh, but talk about how emotions can sort of derail the whole process. Well, uh, I have, my background is in counseling and I have a few degrees in that. So emotions are right down. But for instance, 
uh, one that can derail everything is fear. So if that person that's just newly divorced or widowed or widower or whoever is afraid to make any challenges and they keep their internet the same, they keep their uh, their all, all kinds of other expenses the same and the income is lower, that fear of making a decision and saying, okay, I've got to address this is going to bust the budget and they're going to be in debt. Another thing is listening to other people and taking advice without comparing it with many. So Proverbs talks about wise counsel. And I talk about having a board of directors, several people that you listen to, someone that talks about finances and has common sense. So you don't go to your friend that has a lot of credit card debt and ask her what her advice is <laughs> about finances. So, I mean, we get into those kinds of things. Uh, and the other thing is the whole comparison thing, that kind of thing of, oh, I've got to look good to other people, that will wreck you right away. You can go to a resale shop and buy really cool stuff and you'll be just fine. One thing I have to ask you, Miriam, here before uh, time gets away from me is, uh, of course, this seems to especially affect older folks uh, who may be more vulnerable to this kind of thing, but that of financial frauds, scams, maybe often coming in over the phone or now uh, over email and maybe even over texting. Can you talk about that and, and how to have a discernment for those kinds of things? Well, I experienced that personally. I, if I, it was known that I would be getting some life insurance money and an individual in a church where my husband's right-hand man worship uh, tried to defraud me from that. And I have to say this, I'm sorry to say this person was in a church. Just because it's in the garage doesn't mean it's a car. Mm -hmm. And that sounds corny, but it's the truth. But for everyone that know, for instance, military spouses get a, a, a certain amount, which I'm aware of, and we've ministered to many military spouses, given this book to them. There are people that know that, and they say, oh, you need to put this into this fund for your co kids' college education. And the cost on that fund may be 25% off the top to the person selling the fund. I have seen that happen to a young widow. Uh, she didn't jump on that. She talked to me about it, and I said, absolutely not. You need to establish what's coming in. You may need some of that now while your kids are still growing up. Mm -hmm. So... It is common, but that's where those wise people around you, you do not, if someone says, well, here's what you ought to do, you can say, well, wait, I'm going to run that idea past other people that are wise. I may get back to you and I may not. If there's urgency to it, don't do it. Do not do it. You need time to seek wisdom, to pray and ask other wise people. I'm so glad you asked that, Bill, because it is quite common and especially with older women. Uh, but we're addressing that and it shouldn't be happening. And if more of us become more financially astute and can say to our dear a person, our aunt or mom or whoever, look, wait, we need to talk about all that stuff. Um, these fraudsters are going to have to go elsewhere, not to our doorstep. Well, the book is Wise Women Managing Money, Expert Advice on Debt, Wealth, Budgeting, and More. My guest is Miriam Neff, founder and president of Widow Connection. She co-wrote the book with her daughter, Valerie Neff Hogan, who uh, is a certified financial planner and an attorney. And uh, Miriam, uh, one of the latter chapters of your book, Chapter 24, talks about eight habits of wise women managing 
money. And I'm wondering, can you give us a little bit of an overview of that chapter and, and why these habits are uh, so important? Well, one of the things we stress, this is not a one-time, one-thing do it once and then it's all over because habits are kind of stubborn. So if you're used to getting that $4 cup of coffee on the way to work and it doesn't fit in the budget, uh, you're, you're going to have to change the habits. Yeah. So I'm just going to quickly run through these eight. But the first one, we've already referred to it. We acknowledge it's all God's on loan to us. So in other words, there's our motivation right there. There's our why. And second, we take responsibility for it. We don't say, oh, but I inherited this debt from my husband. Okay, so you did. Now you got to address that. And it, it, it is not uncommon for women to find unknown credit card bills coming. We create a spending plan based on their income, based on our income and our values, not what how we want to live, but what we can afford. And I say the Old Testament people had it easier. They had tents. They could fold it up and make it a little smaller, mm. <laughs> a little bit harder to change living spaces, but sometimes we have to. Mm -hmm. Then for the fourth one, money management is an indication of your heart. So in other words, if you love God, you're going to place him first instead of loving what money can get you. Uh, they, uh, the world says he with the, dies with the biggest car wins. No, you you hope you go to heaven and you have left it all for kingdom purposes. Um, five, we don't make excuses about our finances, point fingers, that kind of thing. We take responsibility personal, whether you're single or as a couple. Together you say, we got here together. If it's a mess, God sees us as one. Then the next, the seventh thing, we regularly revisit that, is it working? Inflation has tripled the, the price of a dozen eggs where I live. I've got to go back to the budget. If it's caused your uh, utilities to go up, I've got to go back to the budget. And the eighth one, and this is kind of like the book in, we're generous for kingdom purposes. So we start with, we say it's all God's. We end with, I want to build his kingdom because it's all God's. So, but those are all listed in one place in the book. I say you make it a screensaver, one a day or something like that. It, that's a helpful idea, actually. Just came to think of it. And it sounds like the, uh, I'm sure we've brought this word up, but written across the whole thing is stewardship of, as you say, God is, God is the owner of all of it. He's lent it to us for a while, and with the guidance of his word and his people, were to manage it with the wisdom that that he provides is that that's essentially what you're what you're bringing to us here in this book. That's it and it's spelled out so wisely in Matthew 25 read that chapter and if you have 10 talents multiply it to 10 don't think oh I can't got to hide it cuz I don't want to mess up. If it's 5 okay multiply that use it wisely. Uh, we're all stewards of that. And Bill, I want to tell you, I'm so glad you addressed this topic. I can assure you there are probably a lot of your listeners that are thinking, that's a lot of food for thought. So thank you. Now you can tell I'm a bit passionate about this. <laughs> you certainly are. Well, Miriam Neff, my guest today, founder and president of Widow Connection, co-author of Wise Women Managing Money, expert advice on debt, wealth, budgeting, and more, co-written with her daughter, Valerie Neff Hogan. And uh, Miriam, in addition to that book, if people would like to find out more about your other books and about the Widow Connection ministry, can you tell us how they can, uh, how they can get that as well? 
Yes, well, I think especially on this topic, we also have a website called wisewomenmanagingmoney.com. When you go there, for one thing, this whole book is in a video series, but they're 26, they're only five minutes. So if you don't want to read a book, and now it doesn't go into as much detail. And by the way, the video series was filmed in my family room, and we didn't let the dog in. <laughs> so, But go to wisewomenmanagingmoney.com, and you can see the, uh, the videos, and you can also, it'll click you through to Amazon to buy the book, or widowconnection.com, same thing. The things are there, the videos are there, the book is a link to the book. Uh, so it's as easy as going you know, Googling on your computer, wisewomenmanagingmoney.com or widowconnection.com. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Miriam Neff, founder of Widow Connection and co-author of Wise Women Managing Money. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's David Heflin giving Christian hope to those struggling with chronic pain. And so the Bible is, is very clear that good can can come in suffering. Not that suffering is good, but that good can come in it. And so Romans 5, 1 through 5 is one I often think about because I don't want my suffering and pain to be wasted. I want it to count for something. And I feel like I believe that God is the one who makes it count. That's tomorrow at the same time, right here on His People. Thanks for listening.